that was slain forever we will worship we will sing we will stand before you and proclaim that you are the lord Carpenter's Way. Hope you guys are doing all right this morning. 
I usually don't do this, but we're going to do it again. It worked so well two weeks ago. I'm going to make you stand up. <laughs> I've got all the power, all the authority here. Stand up. <laughs> no, I'm just playing. I'm just playing. If you want to stand, you can. You don't have to stand up. Just kind of joking, halfway joking with you. But uh, yeah, if you're here, if you're uh, visiting, you can stand, whatever. If you're online, don't just watch. Actually join in with us this morning. Special rest 
still waiting for the people of God. For all who have entered into God's rest have rested from their labors, just as God did after creating the world. So let us do our best to enter that rest. But if we disobey God, as the people of Israel did, we will fall. So uh, this song is taken out of uh, Hebrews chapter 4. And uh, that part you just read, it, if you want to go back and read chapter 4, I'll let you do it. I'm not going to go through the whole chapter. But it starts talking about this rest that God had uh, intended for the children of Israel, but they never took it because they didn't have the faith. They didn't, they didn't believe uh, in this. And so, and then it goes on to say, I think we just talked about, uh, just read, that there's this rest for us now. There's this, this rest that's just there for you. And so that's kind of where this song came from, the idea that we can rest from our, our labor. And when we're talking about that, it's we can rest from our work of trying to, trying to get to God. We can rest in the fact that we don't have to earn His favor anymore. We can rest in the fact that everything that's, that had to be done for us to be His children has been done. And there's nothing more we can do in that so we can, we can rest in that. Of course, as a child of God, we do have work to do, right? We have work to do out in the world, but as His children, we have this opportunity to stop in the rest. I don't know that we do that enough, that we just actually rest in His goodness, that we rest in the fact that everything has been done. Like, there's absolutely nothing else you can do. There's nothing else you can do to add to this. It's totally 100% done. And so this morning, as we go through these next few songs, just kind of let that be on your forefront of your mind. We are resting in the work that you have done. There is nothing that you left undone. You've opened our world to the presence of our God. Welcomed here as worthy because of the cross. We cannot walk away. Here's where we to our God He has wiped away the stain of all our sin and shame and He's asked us to come and rest oh rest in our Salvation's completed through Him and Him alone. For when He had finished, He sat down on His throne to reign forever. 
there's so much noise. It seems louder the last few years with pandemics and, oh, just, just the world, Father. And uh, I thank you that we can lean on you, that we can look to you. I thank you that if the, the, the more we look on you, the more we obsess on your face and following you, the more the things of this world grow strangely dim. Most of us have been singing this song since childhood, but I don't think most of us realize just how deep that truth is. And so I ask this morning, as we read a text that kind of explodes this concept, that you would change our lives by changing the way we think. Father, for our brothers and sisters in Ukraine right now, Father, for our brothers and sisters in Russia right now, we pray that you would draw your people to yourself, that you would, uh, Father, uh, cause peace to break out, but not our will. Yours be done. And if this truly is setting up your return, then come quickly. Maranatha, come quickly. And may we be faithful unto death. May our brothers and sisters be faithful unto death or your return and find the joy of the Lord as their strength. In the name of Jesus Christ we pray. Amen. You may be seated. We'll dismiss the children who have probably already run out. It is like Pavlov's dogs. You, you, uh, <clears throat> the minute there's a sign changes from a song, they're gone. One Sunday, thank you. Why are you, ta- why are you talking so much? Because you like talking to people. Thank, thank you so much. You are so sweet. I have, I have a file in my office full of these pictures. And uh, that's, that's really cool. There are two pigs sleeping in a bunk bed. <laughs> I'm working on a spiritual thing in this. We, um, uh, you know, if you've been watching in your Ukraine, you realize what the church does. And uh, I'm, I'm going to talk for a couple minutes before I jump into the text. I really think it's incredible. I, you know, we had our mission Sunday last week. And I just want you to know how active they are. After the service last Sunday, someone came up and said, I want to participate in what's going on in Ukraine. And you had mentioned some churches that you had contact with. And we got contact with that church through Zach, who had worked at Piney Woods. And Piney Woods has a pastor that they have supported for many, many years right out of Ukraine. And so through Piney Woods, through Zach, through Steve there. Steve, what's his last name? The guy who... Steve, the guy who directs down there, we, we got his first name, but he's got my disease, freezing. Um, but uh, we, we've been in touch with them this week, and this week we were able to send them uh, uh, $5,600, these churches. It's 10 churches, and so, so that's exciting, and now we're kind of watching to see if maybe we want to send more in a couple weeks. So uh, I just want to make you aware what a blessing it is to have a team of deacons that are all over this. And this isn't, this isn't the only time they've done that. I mentioned it last year. Like, we have helped out in Brazil when, when uh, Venezuelan refugees were coming across the border and some churches we've worked with and we support are overwhelmed. How do we feed these people? So we've, we've, you, you have helped them. And uh, so I want to I thank you and I want to remind you that, that your giving isn't just to turn on lights and stuff. It is, it is, it is working the gospel across the globe and discipling and... Uh, I want to thank you for that. Uh, the other thing I wanted to mention is at 11 o'clock this morning, Megan, is, she may have gone out. Megan Brevard got up a few weeks ago and shared with us a ministry that God has put on her heart. 
and it's called LIFT, and that's an acronym for the ministry. But it basically, uh, the Lord has allowed us, through your giving again, to take one of our Bible study classes and turn it into a sensory room. As you know, there's a lot of children who struggle in classroom settings or in the middle. You know, any kid can struggle, not just kids with special needs, but also just, just kids. They, they may have a day where they're melting down. And uh, uh, Megan, it was put on her heart to open a ministry that ministered to kids, not just with special needs, but a place where kids can go and learn the gospel in a quiet setting if they need to. And so we were able to, under her leadership, we were able to develop this room. And that when she shared this a few weeks ago, she said, if anybody wants to be involved, and 11 people came forward. I mean, that's, that's phenomenal ministry because it isn't just to those children and they go into that room and they don't just play. They, they, in a quiet setting, they read a story or they're given a story. The, the gospel's presented, discipleship is done. And I want to be clear, what a church is is a discipleship organism. We, we, we pour, it's not a wedding organism, it isn't a, a funeral organism, it's, it does those things, but we are a discipling organism, so we try to work with them. But it also gives parents an opportunity to know that their kids are safe. And we do background checks in every area, and I know some of you get offended by that, but that's because we want, we want people to know that their kids are safe. And uh, so this ministry is awesome. And I say all that to say, if this is something that interests you, at 11 o'clock this morning, they're doing a training in the library or, or they're having a meeting of all those who have volunteered. If you want to join them, you are welcome to. And of course, we have kids ministry going on during that time as well. So, um, so while we send money to Ukraine or Brazil and all over the globe and we send money to the Pregnancy Help Center, Mosaic Center, we're also doing ministry here because this, my friends, is a mission outpost. And as the world gets weirder, we're going to get safer. Uh, and what I mean by that is we, we need each other. And we need to look in each other's face to listen to you sing. Uh, and I, I got to come up front and listen to you sing, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. Man, we've been singing that song, those of us who to, went to church since our earliest days. We have been singing that song for so long. And this morning's text teaches why. I think sometimes we sort of just sing and we don't really think about what we're singing. But wow, we just surrendered. We just told the Lord we're going to look at him even when the world is going crazy and we're going to focus on him. So uh, I'm excited to take the worship that we were led in this morning and actually put scripture to it. Uh, you will recall that uh, well, we've taken a couple weeks off. We had Mission Sunday last week. And then two weeks ago, I thought it would be really interesting or really important to take a break from our First Peter look and talk about one verse. I think it was First Peter 2.12. And it says that there is this battle that's never ending within us. And he was talking about the battle of the flesh. Uh, and it isn't just like major sin stuff. It's, it's even worse than that. It's more insidious. The battle within us has desires that go against the value system of heaven. And again, it isn't just sin. It's, it's, it's a desire to feed ourselves. You know, just to do what we want and say, screw them. Let's bomb them without any thought of how God might have us proceed. Or we don't like this person in politics. Or we don't like that. And there is a war. And the reason I wanted to take a Sunday and say that is because I want you to understand that sometimes in the church, we act like, knock it off. Just knock it off, people. What's wrong with you? When the reality is, what's wrong with you is what it will be wrong with you until you go home to be with the Lord. Until glorification. And we need to be honest with each other here that we struggle with sin. We struggle with, okay, erase sin because we've been forgiven. We struggle with our flesh. We struggle with wanting to win. We struggle with wanting to be recognized, even if you don't agree with me, at least respect my point of view, which is exactly what the world wants. 
It's what the gay community wants. It's what the transgender community wants. It's what, the, uh, it's what every, every genetic group wants. Uh, they all want to be recognized and accepted. And even if you don't like them, they just want to be accepted. And sometimes the church demands the same thing. And I think that's what's so powerful about some of the teachings of Jesus and what we're looking at in Peter. Because it's saying, you're not here to be respected. You are here, well, well let's get in. Actually, I want to uh, play, I want you to play the video. We showed this a few weeks ago. And I want you to watch this video again. You saw this when we started 1 Peter, and I especially want you to pay attention to Jesus' role on the earth as they lay it out, and then when he leaves, what happens to that, and I'll, I'll explain it in a minute. Let's, let's go ahead, Louise, and do that. So in the Bible, the ideas of heaven and earth are ways of talking about God's space and our space. So I understand our space really well. We live here. There's trees, rivers, mountains, but my understanding of God's space gets a little fuzzy. And what we do get in the Bible are images trying to help us grasp God's space, which is basically inconceivable to us. So these are two very different types of spaces. Yes, they're, they're different in their nature, but here's what's really interesting, is that in the Bible, these are not always separate spaces. So think of heaven and earth as like different dimensions that can overlap in the same exact space. So we talk a lot about going to heaven after we die, but this idea of heaven and earth overlapping, we don't talk a lot about that. Which is kind of crazy because the union of heaven and earth is what the story of the Bible is all about. How they were once fully united and then driven apart and about how God is bringing them back together once again. So let's go back to the beginning where heaven and earth, they're completely overlapping. Yeah, this is what uh, the Bible's description of the Garden of Eden is all about. It's a place where God and humanity dwelt together perfectly, no separation, and, and humans then partner with God in building a flourishing, beautiful world, and so on. But as humans, we wanted to do things a different way. We wanted God out, and we wanted to create a world apart from Him. Yeah, so we have these two spaces now, and the Bible actually uses lots of different kinds of words and phrases to refer to these two spaces to make a, a clear distinction. So you've said that these spaces can overlap, though. So explain how that works. Yeah, this is where we have to start talking about temples. Because in the biblical world, you experience God's presence by going to a temple. That's where heaven and earth uh, overlap. Now, there are two types of temples described in the Bible. One is a tabernacle, basically a tent that was built by Moses. And the other was this massive building made by Solomon. And these temples were decorated with fruit trees and flowers and images of angels and all kinds of gold and jewels and so on. And these are designed to make you feel like you're going back to the garden. And at the center of the temple was a place called the Holy of Holies, which was like the hot spot of God's presence. Now we can go and be with God again. But not so fast, because the temple also creates a problem. So God's space is full of his presence and goodness and justice and beauty, but human space is full of sin and injustice and the ugliness that results. So how do these spaces overlap if they're so different and they're in conflict with each other? This was resolved through animal sacrifice. Yeah, that's kind of weird. What do animal sacrifices have to do with this? Yeah, the, the idea is this. Animal sacrifices, somehow they absorb the sin when the animal dies in your place. And it creates a clean space, so to speak, where you are now free to enter into the temple and be in God's presence. 
Okay, so if I'm an Israelite and I live in Jerusalem, I might be able to be in God's presence. But you said the story of the Bible is all of heaven and earth reuniting. Right. So we have to keep going in the story where we come to Jesus in the New Testament. And in the Gospel of John, we hear this claim that God became human in Jesus and made his dwelling among us. Now, this word dwelling is really curious. It, literally, it means he set up a tabernacle among us. And so what John is claiming right here is that Jesus is a temple. He is now the place where heaven and earth overlap. What's interesting about Jesus is that he isn't staying in this safe, clean space. He's running around, hanging out with sinners. He's healing people of their sicknesses and forgiving people of their sins. He's basically creating little pockets of heaven where people can be in God's presence, but he's doing it out there in the middle of the world of sin and death. And he keeps telling everyone that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And he even told his followers to pray regularly that God's kingdom come and that his will be done here on earth, just as it is in heaven. But a lot of people are threatened by Jesus, and they kill him, which seems to spoil this whole plan to reunite heaven and earth. But we, we have to go back to a scene earlier on in Jesus' story where John the Baptist saw Jesus and said, Behold, this is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So Jesus isn't just talked about as being a temple. He's also talked about as being the temple sacrifice. Yeah, so, so the cross is now the place where Jesus absorbs sin to create a clean space that is not limited like animal sacrifices. Jesus' sacrifice has the power to keep spreading and spreading and reuniting more and more of heaven and earth. And this is all really great, but it leaves one big question in my mind, which is, what happens when I die? Don't I just fly over to God's space to be with Jesus. Yeah, so a few times in the New Testament we learn that Christians will be with Jesus in heaven after they die, but that is not the focus of the Bible story. The focus is on how heaven and earth are being reunited through Jesus and will be completely brought together one day when he returns. So in the book of Revelation we get this beautiful image of the Garden of Eden, now in the form of a city, coming to end the age of sin and death by redeeming all of human history in a renewed creation. And God's space and human space completely overlap once again. We believe the best Okay, we're going to go ahead and pause it there. This is, this is huge because what he just said at the end, and this is a Bible Project video, and if you've not enjoyed them, you need to jump on and look. There's so much to learn from these gentlemen. But one of the things that he says in here that's powerful is, the Bible doesn't really have a lot to say. It has some things to say about life after death, as much as it has to do with life here now for the followers of Jesus. And while in most churches and most gatherings, we want to get you to have heaven, so that's what we spend most of our time on, I think that sometimes Satan uses our distraction on heaven to keep us from understanding our role here on earth. And if you watch that video, you have this overlap. Under the Old Covenant, it was the temple that was the place on earth where heaven and earth crashed, collided, and the people could come into the presence of God and see the values of the kingdom. But now at the cross, God made a clean space, and Jesus went out there into the dirty places, and the, the religious people were offended at that, but he offered forgiveness. The guy is uh, laying on a mat, and Jesus said, your sins are forgiven, and he tells him to pick up his mat and walk. 
I mean, he crosses over these, these things that offended religious people because religious people want you to come in and be under their authority, and Jesus is setting you free to live out in the world. And we have to understand what was just laid out is when Jesus ascended into heaven, in the first week we did this, our study on 1 Peter, I read you from Jesus' prayer in John 17, and he says, Father, as you sent me into the world, I am now sending them into the world. And much of the New Testament teaching and much of the emphasis of even 1 Peter, the crux of it, the cornerstone of it is that we are now inhabited by the Holy Spirit. At the moment of salvation, the third member of the Trinity comes to live within us and we become, our bodies become, the temple of the Holy Spirit. In other words, we, where we go, God goes. And I know that he's omnipresent, but the truth is people in the Old Testament went to the temple or the tabernacle, to experience God's laws, to experience God's mercy, to experience God. Then when Jesus came, they would go to Jesus to experience him. But when Jesus ascended into heaven on the day of Pentecost, it wasn't about tongues, it was about you and I being inhabited by the Holy Spirit and becoming the hot spot of his presence on earth. We are literally called the temple of the Holy Spirit. And it says that as individuals, he's building us up into one big temple, the place people, not location, where people can meet God. We are the hot spot of God's presence on the earth. And that explains why we live differently. That's why we live differently. We don't live differently because uh, it's a better way to live, although I've heard preachers say that. It's actually a harder way to live. The reason that we love our enemies, we bless those who curse us, we pray for those who persecute us, when we're told to carry our enemies pack for one mile, we carry it two. The reason we wash people's feet, even though that's below us, is because that's what Jesus did. And that's the values of the kingdom. The values of the earth are, look out for number one. You are beautiful as you are. You're fine. The world should accept you as you are. The values of the kingdom are, I came to transform you into what I created you to be in the first place. And while you're here, I'm going to use you to introduce myself to people, whether they accept me or reject me. That's another misnomer of the church. You're in my job out there as the hotspot of his presence, as the temple of the Holy Spirit, is not to get people saved. Our job is to witness and testify to the truth. That is why, as we have been studying in, in, uh, in 1 Peter, we have been reading, he's laid out for us some of the examples. Basically, to remind you of the, of the story that we're studying is these people have now been rejected. These are followers of Jesus. And no matter what you think about the New Testament church, they were just like you. They wanted to live and let live. They wanted to be at peace with people. They had found grace and a relationship with God. They wanted to spread that, and they couldn't figure out why anybody else wouldn't want it. And by living the values of the kingdom... They were being rejected. And what's happening is Nero has come or is about to come to the throne. Either he or his mother is reigning in the first letter, period. The second letter, he's clearly on the throne and Christians are clearly dying. And we're going to go from 1 Peter right into 2 Peter. But there's a big change in 2 Peter. But in 1 Peter, they feel it much like you do. They feel problems coming. And they feel rejected. The Hebrew church as rejecting the Gentiles. The, they're living, most of these are Gentiles growing up in Roman culture. And most of these now Roman culture hate them. Why? Not because they're different religiously. Rome is all about everybody having their own religion. But this thing claims that I am the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father but through me. The reason they killed Jesus is because he wasn't open-minded. 
The reason they killed Paul was because he wasn't open-minded. The reason these people were about to be persecuted was because they weren't open-minded. And the reason you and I will face persecution is because we're not open-minded. Well, I'm not stupid. I didn't say you were stupid. But when the Father that saved you says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, nobody comes to the Father except through me, then we're not open-minded. Jesus is the only way. He's the authority. And the problem is, the world, and I, I, I've been, Zach and I have been having this conversation in recent weeks. Uh, you look at what's going on with the pandemic. You look at what's going on right now over in Russia and Ukraine. And it is easy to take the simplest route and go, see, the world is going to end up in communism and China and Russia and all these evil things that they're going to rule and we're just because we're Christians we're going to be hated. I think there's another option. The first Thessalonians actually tells us that when peace breaks out that's when we should watch for the Lord's return. In in the season after Jesus ascends he says as his return draws near you'll see wars and rumors of wars and diseases and all these things that we see that everybody talks about but first Thessalonians says when peace breaks out and I think there's another option. I think that as the world rises up against, uh, against uh, these people that cause problems, it may swing to the right. It may actually swing back. Russia may be put away. China may be brought under, under the guise of control. And what could happen is everything goes to, to the right that's more comfortable, except for anybody who fights against that, whether you're a jihadist or you're an evangelical Christian. That's what was wrong in Rome. The problem is Rome, with Rome wasn't that they were anti-religion. They were anti-religion that caused a problem for every other religion. And biblical Christianity causes a problem for the, every religion in the world. It's the only one that says you have to completely depend on God, and there is no God but our God. In the Shema, which Jews, faithful Jews pray twice a day, it starts with the Lord our God is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul. And it starts with the Shema means, listen to me. We only have one God in three persons. And it's really, really important that you understand that while you're trying to figure out what the return of Christ looks like, the scriptures tell us that we will be, that if he hadn't returned at the time he does, that even the church will have been deceived. And I say that only to say this, what looks like could be a clear division between truth and a lie may not be that clear in the future. That's why Paul, or Peter, is warning us so much here to fixate our eyes on Jesus. That's why that song is so important. If you and I are going to live for him, we can't follow religious leaders or anyone else. We follow Jesus, and you've got to know him from his word so that when I say something stupid, you can go, that doesn't sound like scripture to me. How does this compare with that? We gather together on a weekly basis to go to the scripture together and, and, and reason together. And i got to tell you something. I'm saying all that to remind you of what examples Peter has given us so far of this upside-down living. Because the world and much of the church hates it. He's using very extreme examples. The first one he gave us, gave us was to submit to the authority God puts over us, even if they're wicked. That it's not our job to, to change human governments. It's our job to submit to them and be that hotspot of God's presence in the evil that they spread. He tells us that we are to submit to our slave owners. And in the past, I've preached that like your bosses and stuff, but that's not what it says. It's slave owners. So if you are a slave, which none of you are, you're just supposed to stay and serve them like you'd serve the Lord. And you might be going, yeah, well, slavery was different back then. He actually went on to say, especially when they're evil. Whoa, I'm not going to do that. Well, that's what's required. If you're going to be the hotspot of his presence. He goes on to talk about the homes. 
The homes are supposed to look different in a world that wouldn't accept this. Wives are supposed to willingly submit to their husbands. And even in our room, there's been some people who are pushing back on that. And so I want to make it clear as I have uh, from the start. If you are not surrendered to God's control of your life, if you haven't decided to make him Lord of your life, if you're not a follower of Jesus, this doesn't apply to you. If you're not a temple of the Holy Spirit's presence, then don't be offended on behalf of wives. This is not women to men, it's wives to husbands. And if you are a spirit-filled wife, the Greek in here isn't a suggestion, it's a command. If you're going to be a godly woman, submit to your husband willingly. Well, my husband's a jerk. Well, unless he's abusing you physically, God saves jerks. And you are a temple in that jerky home. Talks to husbands. It tells husbands that they must look for ways to understand their wives and honor them. I was about to make a joke, but I don't want to get in trouble. But it says that we are to honor them 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And other books in the New Testament tell us that we're to honor wives in the way that Christ honors and loves and serves us. So while the word submit makes the hair on the back of our culture's neck stand up, the truth is for a man to honor his wife is way harder. It doesn't say as she makes you feel good about yourself. Your job is to serve her and honor her even if she doesn't make you feel good about yourself. Well, why would I do that? I've only got one life. See, that's the problem. You don't only have one life. You have one short life and one long eternal life. And we keep living for now when right now is only about being a hot spot of his presence. My job fully, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, is to be a temple to every relationship, every place, from you to the community to my neighbors. My job is to be a hot spot of his presence by living this upside-down kingdom value. So you're telling me that I should be abused. I'm telling you, follow Jesus. And you see, was he abused? And what was his response? And I know these are hard, but these are extreme examples, nonetheless actual examples of what God expects from his children as the temple of the Holy Spirit. The final one that we looked at is the church. We are to actively and genuinely care for each other as God's family within the body of Christ. For those of you watching online, I want to talk to you for just a second. That does not mean it's the church's responsibility to find out where you are and what you're doing and chase you down. You have a responsibility to get your rear ends in here. It's too easy for people who run away or, or Christians. I'm talking about believers, believers who know better, who go out there offended, and instead of actually doing what the Bible says, when your brother causes you offense, you go sit down with them to work it out, not to leave. It's too easy to take a shot at people and leave. Your responsibility is still there. You're here to make us better. And I understand if you have a physical ailment where you want to stay home and, 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 and you need to do that, and you're working with your doctors, but you need to be in here. You can't, you, you, if you're not in here on a regular basis, whether it's here or a Bible study, you're not giving, you're just taking, and that is not what the church is about. See, you're supposed to be the temple of God's presence in this room. And for those of you who don't go to church because you hate the church, so you watch preaching online, I just want to be clear. If we're so screwed up, why don't you come fix us? Unless, of course, you're part of the problem. You see, see that's the problem with this, is my job isn't to make us feel better. My job, our job is to take the scripture and lay it out. We are going to, in the next 50 years, need to be closer and more passionate and more honest and more filled with the God, under the control of the Holy Spirit than we have ever been before. And if you want to know why, just pay attention to the church in Ukraine. Because the question will be, am I going to run for my life or am I going to serve others? I mean, what do you got to lose? 
Jesus' response, and I, I, I haven't said this in a few weeks, so I'll say it again. I think the thing in our previous study before Galatians on Jesus' life, um, when, he, when we were going through that, I think the funniest thing that I read this time that struck me was when the disciples said, uh, uh, you know, was talking with Jesus about the trouble they're having, and Jesus' response to them is, what's the worst they can do, kill you? And I'm sure at that point they said what I would have said. <laughs> and Jesus isn't laughing. You see, he's been on both sides of that. He's been in eternity, and he knows what awaits us, and we're just looking from this side, and we trust the Lord even with our death. We will trust you. And when you turn your eyes upon Jesus and you look fully in his wonderful face, all of a sudden, the things of the earth become strangely dim. That's what 1 Peter is about. And our text today is, is chapter 3, verse 10. I know it's 25 after, and you're like, he hasn't even gotten into the text. Oh, I pretty much preached it. But let's go through the verses so you know I'm not making this up. The scriptures say, verse 10, if you want to enjoy life and see many happy days, keep your tongue from speaking evil and your lips from telling lies. And I, I, let's pause for a second, because I want to begin by, by pointing out to you that even they wanted what you want, what I want. They wanted to enjoy life and see happy days. They wanted their kids to enjoy life and see happy days. And that's why they're freaking out, because that's all they wanted. And they're like, I'm not, I'm a mush ball of joy. I, why, why, are, why does the world hate me? And Peter is addressing that. Peter has already said when they're like, man, what is wrong with this world? We feel like exiles. Peter already said, you are an exile. You feel like that because it's true. And I want to throw out to you again that when you turn on the TV, when you watch the news, when you listen to the media, when you listen to Hollywood and Washington, and you say to yourself, what is wrong with this world? It's so evil. God is going, duh, I told you that. But our job isn't to come in here. Our job is to go out there in the dirty places and be the temple. You see, the church, I remember growing up in a church, and we had a family center, a workout center, a basketball court. We had everything you could imagine. Why? Because somewhere along the line, a pastor thought your, that your, your cleanliness was more important than your ministry. So they brought everybody in. Come out from among them was the call in the 70s and the 80s. And God is going, oy vey, I, I, I left you there to send you out. And he does speak Hebrew, so oy vey is part of that. Listen, for real, we are supposed to be out there. Well, I don't like it out there uh, because it's dirty. Well, yeah. Yes, it is. That's exactly why you're out there, because you're not dirty. Sometimes your feet get dirty. That's why we wash each other's feet. Remember that little story? But we're out there as the clean thing in a dirty world, and the world is, should look at us and go, you guys are crazy. But you are interesting. We are different this is a new life. It's called being born again for a reason. It's the beginning of something new. Our old life is gone. Our new life has come. And Peter is trying to help them understand that while they're freaking out, even while they're wanting to enjoy life and see many happy days, keep your tongue from speaking evil and your lips from telling lies. Turn away from evil and do good. Search for peace and work to maintain it. The eyes of the Lord watch over those who do right. And his ears are open to their prayers, but the Lord turns his face against those who do evil. At which God's people go, thank you, Lord. Let me be very clear. Putin may be a Russian Orthodox member of the church, but unless he repents, he will be face justice. Adolf Hitler might have been a Catholic, but he did face justice. He never repented, and he faces the judge who sees it in secret. 
They didn't have to find evidence. The evidence was played before him. And for those of us who have put our hope in the Lord, justice will also be served for us, and reward will be served. That's the whole point of how we have joy. When you turn your face upon Jesus, you realize that God is just, and evil will be served. Justice will be served on evil, and rewards will be served on righteousness. And that's what he's saying. Even if, uh, uh, let's see, what verse was I on? Verse 12. The eyes of the Lord watch over those who do right, and his ears are open to their prayers, but the Lord turns his face against those who do evil. Now, who will want to harm you if you're eager to do good? And he didn't let him answer. But even if you suffer for doing what's right, God's going to reward you for it, so don't worry or be afraid of their threat. Instead, you must worship Christ as Lord of your life, and if someone asks about your Christian hope, always be ready to explain it. I love this next verse. But do it in a gentle, respectful way. Don't be a jerk, Mark's Bible says. Keep your conscience clear. Then if people speak against you, they'll be ashamed when they see what a good life you live because you belong to Christ. Remember, it is better to suffer for doing good if that is what the Lord wants. I don't like that verse. Let's just erase it. It is better to suffer for doing good than to suffer for doing wrong. But that middle part is in there. I looked, I looked three times this week. I looked at the Greek. Do you know what the Greek says? If that's what the Lord has for your life. I mean, it really does say that. What? Okay, let me pull myself back a little bit because I want to work through this text to you. We all want to see peace in good days. And so did the New Testament church. Don't buy into the lie that these people were more faithful. They were more ready to die. The reason these letters are written is because just like you, they're going, what have we done wrong? Just leave us alone. And Peter's going, not only should you be left alone, but you should be invading their spaces. Boy, that's different than what you usually hear in church. You should be invading their spaces. You should be there where they are. You should be out there ministering and living among them. Romans 12, 1 and 2. I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you your bodies, your physical bodies. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice. What do you mean, Paul? What do you mean? A, what kind of sacrifice? Tell me and I'll do it. The kind he will find acceptable. Okay, I'm going to pause there for a second. The, the one he finds acceptable. Why does he write that? Because we think we know what kind of sacrifices are acceptable. We think we know. And he actually goes on to say, this is truly the way we worship him. What, being a living sacrifice? No, he's going to explain it. This is the way we tru the, truly the way we worship him, by not copying the behavior and customs of the world. When you start reading this with the grammatical corrections, and actually you realize that he's not going back to this weird theory of just being a sacrifice. He's defining what that looks like. It's not sacrifice as the world understands it. It's a different kind of sacrifice. It is the sacrifice not the, the, that the world, the behavior and customs see. Well, how do I know what to do then? How do I know how to be a sacrifice? Let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. You see... You are highly effective people. I look out here, and even those of you that are passive, most of you as Americans, and I want to double down as Texans, your folks, your, your genetics, your DNA, you watch what's going on in Ukraine or in Russia, and I'm, I'm going to say Ukraine this morning. You're watching what's going on in Ukraine, and you watch Zelensky, and you go, this is what a leader looks like. 
This is a stud. This is a military guy. He was a comedian. Are you kidding me? Can you imagine, I'm trying to think, of uh, Steve Martin doing that? I mean, that's what he did. Don't watch any of his comedy. He wasn't funny. But this guy's a serious guy, and it, it makes my man heart go, yeah, stick it to him. And every day I kind of squint through one eye, and I read Twitter. I just, I know I said I was getting off social media. I'm not good at doing what I say. But I'm, I'm looking at one. I'm looking for clues that they're winning, and there are some things. But you, you're watching it just like me. And you know how it's going to turn out. Russia's probably going to overtake the whole country, and then one by one they're going to plug off Russian warriors until eventually in 15 years Russia gets tired of being killed off or until somebody kills Putin. Now, I'm just talking with you. This is our living room. That's probably how this plays out. But that's what my heart wants. But God is saying, look, Mark, that's the world's way of winning. I'm God. And not once in the stories that you've taught and not once in the stories you've read in the Bible do I ever do it the way you think I should do it. For instance, a week and a half long journey out of Exodus into the Promised Land, I led for 40 years. Well, that's because of their sin. Last time I checked, he could have killed them all in the first place and started over. There was smoke by day, fire by night. He led them through the wilderness. Actually, if you want to know how God was dealing with those people, check the first week out. They get out of the Exodus, they go across the sea. God doesn't open the Red Sea as they get there. He makes them wait. They're freaking out. He said, walk. They go through, and remember where they go right after they get across the Red Sea? They end up at a, at a water. They're thirsty. They end up at a spring, and they start to drink it, and it's poisonous water. That isn't very nice. That's because God doesn't do nice things. He does his own thing. He does his own thing. Well, it sure would have been easier had they got to spring water that was clean and good to drink. Do you think God knew that? Or was he and the Holy Spirit and Jesus out taking a smoke break? I mean, that's the problem with us. We keep going, God, it would be better if, and God's going, I'm aware. You see, he wanted to show these people his faithfulness. He wanted in 2022 for us to talk about his faithfulness. And so what do we see? People sinning and God still saving. That's the story of the Bible. I, 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 read, it's, I read Deuteronomy. I started Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy. Joshua this morning. Sorry. I'm reading through the Bible, so I don't know where I'm at. Um, the first four chapters of Joshua. And, and Joshua is told by God to be courageous, and he stands before the elders of the community. The whole nation, they're about to cross the sea into, or the, the river. They're about to take the promised land. And you, do you know what the people say to Joshua? And I laughed. And only about 20 of you are going to get this. The people say, we will be as faithful to you as we were to Moses. <laughs> to which I'm going, oh, I hope you can do better than that. Okay, there's more than 20 of you. That is such a funny promise for them to make because they did not follow him. They were, not, they were constantly like, oh, let's go. Keith Green, I love Keith Green. I know he's with the Lord. I love Keith Green, but my favorite song, I think, is So You Want to Go Back to Egypt. Because I remember hearing it go, surely they weren't that stupid when I was in high school. And then you read the story and you go, oh, he was nice to them. I mean, they, they over and over, they're like, let's go back to Egypt. I love Egypt. We, we had, you know, bagels there. I mean, they were the ones who wanted out. But God does it the long way because he's introducing himself and he's doing a work. And right now, the reason he hasn't come back to, to, to reign justice on the Russian, the old Soviet era, is because he's still saving people, Romans tells us. And so, so we have to trust in his plan that will cause the end to all of us at one time or another 
unless he returns, and he could return any minute. But our hope is in him, not in us understanding. And that is so hard for Americans in a democracy. That's so hard. Because we think if we work harder and we understand more and we talk to more people that we will get what we want. Well, it didn't work for the Hebrews and it's not going to work for you. The question isn't whether God's plan will be accomplished. It's whether we're going to be Stephen or Jonah in the process. Just because Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh didn't change God's plan to send Jonah to Nineveh. And Stephen's time was up, so his leaving was dramatic. And the question for us is, are we willing to have God transform us into the sacrifice he wants us to be by changing the way we think? You see, that's what Peter is doing. It's beginning to, to get us, and, I, and I, I, know, I know that in today's consumerism, we want comfort all the time, but what if God's plan isn't comfortable? What if heaven is comfortable? What if his plan is, trust me? I don't want to trust you. Well, that's exactly what even Adam said in the garden. You see, I want to throw out that nothing's changed since the garden. Satan's been deceiving us the same way. I want to remind you that Lucifer, before he was thrown out of, the, uh, before he was thrown out of heaven, his sin, according to what we understand, was he didn't want to take over the throne of God. He just wanted to share it with God. Isn't that exactly what he's got Eve to do? He said, God knows, oh, you're not going to die right now. God knows that if you eat the tree, you will be what? Like him. You see, none of us think we're good as God. None of us want to be God. We just want to share the throne of our lives with Him. Don't we? That's why we get mad and frustrated and scared because we really think we know better. And i got to be honest with you. I had a son that was in the hospital for a long time who still got diabetes to this day. I know what it's like to be terrified that God's plan may be different than mine. But I want to tell you again something I think is funny. And, and I think you'll think it's funny when you think about it. And I've told you before, but I repeat myself because, well, I'm running out of information. Uh, but one of the things, as we've gone through the story of Jesus and talked about surrendering, and, and I talk about how scary it is for me to surrender to the Lord and surrender the church to the Lord, some of people say, you know, that's because you don't know him well enough. And I'm going, no, 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 that's not the problem. The problem is I know him very well. See, that's what scares me. Elijah, after all that fire from heaven thing, still went into a depression. And these guys are struggling. And Paul, in our text two weeks ago, actually said, I've never, why do I do the things that I hate? He still struggle with sin. And you look around, you kind of, oh, I do know what God does with his servants. And I don't want to die like Stephen. I'm kind of a baby. Actually, not kind of, I'm a big baby. And I'm a screamer. And when I die in front of you, as the, first mar the second martyr of the church, Jeff Bond is the first one, but as the second martyr of this church, I want to die like Z Zelensky. I want to be like, let's go, you know, let's go. But I'm going to be going, <laughs> I'm going to make it shoot straight, you know. I mean, I just can't even fathom that. But what's missing from that joke is God. God doesn't train you ahead of time for what's going to happen 30 seconds from now. You all know that because you've been in circumstances as a child of God where all of a sudden somebody asks you a question and something comes out of your mouth about God you didn't think you knew and you walk away going, I am so good. And you hear God's voice going, no, you're not. <laughs> We're the temple. That's all we are. And you read this in well, 1 Peter 3, 13 to 15. Who will want to harm you if you're eager to, eager to do good? To which we can all go, oh, see, the Bible isn't without error because I know six people. Well, 
He doesn't end there. But even if you suffer for doing what's right, God will reward you for it. So don't worry or be afraid of their threats. Instead, sanctify, set apart, worship Christ as Lord. In other words, while you're worrying about, you know, instead of worrying, sanctify, submit. So you just want me to give in, keep going, to God's will? Yeah. I don't want to do it any more than you do, but I'm going to, because it's good. And what comes next? It's, it's, it's like Jesus. He actually prayed that the, the cup of suffering would be removed from him, but not my will, yours be done. If Jesus is our example, then it's okay to not want the suffering as long as we're willing to do it. I mean, that's, that's the thing is I don't want this to be a, come on, people, pick up your cross, quit being babies. I want to go, even babies can carry a cross when God is their power. Even the biggest wimp in this room who's preaching, I believe that one of the reasons I'm the pastor of this church is because I couldn't live with how you live. I couldn't put up with the world you put up with. I'm surrounded by believers. What's it like out there? must be terrible. Oh, that's a wimp out, pastor. No, it's my task. My job is to encourage you by teaching you the scriptures and sending you out to be missionaries in your place. That's what you do, and I pray for you all the time because it's got to be hard on you out there. I want you to know that even if I fail to pray, Jesus at the right hand of the Father never does. He is interceding for you every moment of every day. And when you stumble, which you do every day, he's going, man, I know why they stumbled. Now, I didn't stumble here, but boy, Father, that is so hard. And it tells us in Hebrews that the Son speaks to the Father and the Father gives instructions to the Holy Spirit that lives within you to guide you and direct you. And that's what this is talking about. Romans 12, that transformation of our thinking. I'm not going to tell you three steps to being surrendered to the Lord. There's only one, and that is surrendering. And then let Him guide you and direct you. Well, how? He's going to guide you and direct you whether you know it or not. The question isn't whether He'll direct. The question is, are you Jonah or Stephen? Are you going to get in a boat and go the other way, or are you going to run through that whatever? Who will harm you if you're eager to do good? But even if you suffer for doing what's right, God's going to reward you for it. So don't worry or be afraid of these threats. Instead, sanctify, worship Christ as Lord of your life. It's tough to keep Christ Lord of our life, like when you got saved. Do you remember that? Some of us got saved at six, but we still got saved then. And we were just so excited not to go to hell. And so we knew that God was in control, and we had heard all the stories in Sunday school. So even at the youngest age, we gave our lives to Christ. But some of you got saved as adults. And when, man, when you got saved, you were so thankful that you gave him every part of your life, and then you started going to church, and we taught you how to live for yourselves. Stop sinning. Start doing this. Decide now. When there's only one decision. And he said it here, set Christ as Lord. Well, that's not specific enough for me. That's because what you want is a litmus test of rules to follow. And this is a relationship. Well, that's complicated. So is your marriage. So is raising your kids. Now, Hannah and Zach, you need to zone out for a moment because I'm going to tell them something that's about to happen to your life. <laughs> Little Sam is precious. He's like perfect. He's very much like his grandfather. <laughs> the perfect child. But there, we're about to have Micah. And Micah's also going to be a beautiful, perfect child 
with a completely different personality. I don't care how many times you tell a young married couple that are about to have a second baby, it's going to be different. They're like, we got this, man. Our first baby's perfect. <laughs> second babies, well, in my family, Zach was very driven and Zach is very between the lines. And now that my daughter, who lives with us for the next few months, is old enough to tell the truth, and I'm not going to spank her for it, I found out that she was a conniving little... She would tell us, she said, you know, because we, we would often say Zach was a lot more, you know, we, we would always be talking and teaching him the lines, and Anna, you were just self-satisfied. And she goes, no, I was listening outside so I knew what not to do in your presence. You really think that's well played? I, you will get yours, little stinker. They're just different. And, and Zach was, and I think part of it was because of his illnesses, but Zach was high maintenance. And he wasn't a difficult child. He just wanted us always in the room watching. He, he would go even, and this even happened, and I'm, I've, I've asked permission years ago, so I'm going to carry over on that. When Zach did magic, he started getting so into magic, and many of you remember those days, and uh, Zach would, would spend money online buying a new magic trick, and he would get it in the mail. He'd be so excited. I think it's coming today. It would come, and he'd go to his room. Okay, I'm going to my room, and I'm going to spend the whole night learning this trick. Ten minutes later, he'd be like, I got it. And then he would do it for me, and it would suck. Okay? Like, <laughs> like I, I try, how do you encourage that? Zach, that was so good, but I saw you reach behind your back and grab the dog out of the back of your shirt. It, it, it didn't. That's, that's not really good. Okay, oh, I know what I did wrong. He would go back, and he would come back in, and that's just how Zach's built. Annie, on the other hand, I realized was smoking dope in her bedroom. I, <laughs> I, I thought she didn't. I'm kidding, you guys. She, but I thought that Annie was like, we would say this, Julie, and I'd be like, Annie, we have to, has any, Julie, have you seen Annie? No, Mark, I haven't. I've been watching Zach's Magic. And, 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 and we would realize that Annie's been in her room for four hours. And so we would go in, and... When we would knock on the door and open it, of course, she would be laying in bed doing UIL uh, tests for accounting. <laughs> now I find out she was smoking dope. So <clears throat> I, I, she, she wasn't doing drugs or alcohol. I'm just teasing on that. But the truth is, they're so different that I thought we had. We were living by Zach's rules when we ain't raised Annie, even though I thought I was being adjustable. I mean, I just thought she was low maintenance, and the truth was she was just sneaky. And they're both great kids, but isn't that life? Well, why would God treat you like he treats me? We're very different. Why would God set up 10 rules? The nation screwed that up. They had 10 rules to follow, right? And they couldn't keep two of them. They're at Mount Sinai, and they can hear the thunder in the mountain. They see the clouds. They see the fire. Moses is up there. They can see his feet flailing around. And at the base of the mountain, they're like, Let's do it our own way. Hey, I got an idea. Let's take our earrings off. Let's make a cow and let's call it our savior. That's what they do. And then Moses comes down from the mountain and he says, what have you done? God told me you did something. And there's this little cow about this big that Aaron shows him, hey, this is the thing we made. And he goes, what did you do? And he goes, I don't know. We took the gold out of our ears. We threw it in the fire and out came the cow. <laughs> so stupid. God deals differently with people. And he said, I'm going to be in the middle of the camp. And they said, we don't want you in the middle of the camp. We want you outside of the camp. We'll send Moses to talk to you, and then you talk to us. And that's the heart of people. If those people couldn't keep ten commands, what makes you think we could keep ten commands? You see, it's all mercy. It's all grace. It's all God's work. 
Every bit of it. The fact that you're here this morning is the mercy of God. The fact that the, 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 the yesterday was a beautiful day that we could work in our yards was God's generalized grace to all people. But God loves you so much, and he has such an awesome plan for your life. You are the workmanship of God in Christ Jesus, Ephesians 8, 2 says. You are so special to him that he talks to you personally. Don't look for a set of rules. Don't listen to the world talk about what surrender is. You ask God what he wants you to do. Be a living sacrifice. Don't just sing songs on Sunday. Be a living sacrifice because that's the way to truly worship God. Well, what does that mean? I have no idea. I'm just being honest. I have no idea what that means this week for me. I have no idea what it means for you. But what I know is at some point, we're going to have to decide or not decide to make Christ Lord of our lives. Because that verse 15 in here, making Christ Lord of your life, right there, it's on the screen. That's the whole point of this whole book. That's the whole point of this whole letter. That's the whole point of the Bible for the child of God. You're redeemed. You're not going to hell. If God, if the Holy Spirit has come into you, he has sealed you into the body of Christ, and you're not going to lose that. The question isn't whether or not you're going to heaven or hell when you die. The question is, what are you going to do with this life now? Are you going to be Jonah, or are you going to be Stephen? It's up to you. That's what's crazy about this. But by the way, if you try to be Jonah, there will be a storm and a sinking ship because God loves you and his plan too much to let you thwart his plan. And he isn't going to replace you with 10,000 angels. He's going to use you any way he wants because he's God and you're not. The only question is, are you okay with that? Worship Christ as Lord of your life. I don't want to worship Christ as Lord of my life. How's it working for you? How's the whole Ukraine thing bothering you? How about the pandemic the last three years? How's that working for you, not making Christ Lord of your life? Living in fear. How's it working? How's it working for our country? How's it working for our world? It ain't. And see, we're supposed to be different. Let's keep reading. Uh, 15, let me see, find where I'm at here. I'm going to jump on to 14 through 16. Even if you suffer for doing what is, uh, what is right, you will, uh, God will reward you for it. So don't worry or be afraid of their threats. Verse 15. Instead of, I'm way on, on uh, Louise. Instead, you must worship Christ as Lord of your life. And if someone asks about your hope as a believer, this is the second half of verse 15 if you're using your Bible, I probably, oh, they got it up there. Good job, guys. If someone asks you about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. Here's something different. I, uh, and I've told you this before, and I'm not saying you, I've been a part of this, but I'm an EE, Evangelical Explosion Trainer. I, I, I've told you that the Southern Baptists have their own thing. The Assemblies of God have their training programs. But basically, we have trained you, uh, or we try to train you in how not only to lead people to Christ, the Romans Road, but we try to teach you how to start conversations. I think maybe we should have spent at least as much time teaching you to be surrendered to God, because apparently, if you do, someone's going to ask you why you're such a weirdo. And that's the perfect opening. You don't have to deceive people. You don't have to say, I'm taking a survey. You don't have to go, hey, I got an idea. Uh, uh, you know, if you were to die today, you don't do any of that. They're just like, why are you so weird? Women, if you truly submit to your husband and your uncle or your aunt or your cousin or your sister who doesn't know Jesus is watching, she's going to at some point go, why are you such a, why are you so whipped to this guy? He's not that good of a guy. At which time you don't say he's better than you think, which is what your flesh is going to want to do, defend your husband. You just say, because this is what God asked me to do. What? Yeah. You see, I'm not trying to live my best life now. That's coming. I'm just trying to live for God. 
Always be ready to have an answer for the hope that's within you. Teenager, when your friends are out drinking and smoking and you don't want to, you don't have to tell them 15 things that's bad for you in smoking and drinking. Just tell them, because my life isn't my own, I've been bought with a price. I'm living for the Lord. You're a weirdo. Yes, I am. Everybody's somebody's fool. Who's fool are you? I got to be honest with you. The world's way ain't working. And they keep trying to add laws to make it work. And it isn't going to work. The only hope is God. Doing it his way. Surrendering. And actually, the only time we're going to have real racial justice and peace and hope and, and no money issues in the world is when we're home in the new kingdom. But while we're here, we're trying to give little pieces of what that looks like. And when we do, when we set as Christ as Lord of our life, someone's going to ask, why are you so whatever? And you answer. They ask Jesus that. Why does your master eat dinner with sinners and wicked people? Remember the, answer, the disciples' answer to that question? We have no idea. Because they didn't get it yet. Because they were still trying to set up a religious kingdom. So Jesus was alone in a lot of times with his father. You wonder why he spent time alone in the mountains with his father all the time? Because that's where the fellowship was. That's where the encouragement was. If someone asks you about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. Verse 16. But do this in a gentle and respectful way. Keep your conscience clear. I don't know how else to say this, but I'm, so I'm going to just say it this way. You get no points for being a jerk. And if you are beat up because you're a jerk in the name of Jesus, you deserved it. That's not persecution. We are here to make Christ Lord of our lives. We are here to trust him with our lives. That means vengeance is mine, says the Lord. I will avenge you. So you want me to be a Quaker? I just want you to follow Jesus. So we shouldn't fight in wars. That's not what I'm saying. I'm simply saying right now, all we're doing is talking about where we are and Peter's exhortation to us. Yes, godly men and women serve as spies, and they serve in the military, and we're not taking anything away from that. They serve at the pleasure of their government, and they need to serve as to the Lord until, God asks, or until the government asks them to violate their worship of God. But short of that, do your thing. But today we're not talking about military responsibility. Today we're talking about individuals that make up the body of Christ who claim Jesus as Savior. Now you've got to make him Lord. And this isn't new. It shouldn't be shocking because Jesus wasn't teasing when he screamed to the crowd, if any of you really wants to be a follower of mine, you're going to have to pick up your cross, put your selfishness aside and follow me. And that is the role of a child of God. Well, I don't want to do that. Then walk away. I'm sorry, but I'm tired of being lied to. And I'm tired of you being lied to. Jesus did not die on the cross to give you your best life now. He died on the cross to make you in right relationship with himself, and he left you here so that you could be the hot spot of his presence on this earth. And that means we're weird, not them. They're normal, we're the freaks. Just like if today you move to Tahiti and lived American values as an ambassador, they think you're weird because you eat with a fork. When I was in India, and they were trying to teach me how to eat with my fingers, I could never do it right. So what I did was I scooped it like a spoon and turned my head back, and they just laughed at that. And I said, can I please have a spoon? And they would have spoons for us. But, or can I please have a fork? Or can I please have a spoon? And they would give me one. And they would go, I don't understand. You can clean your hands, and you don't have to carry this junk around with you. Just eat with your fingers. 
And then they introduced me to the bathroom. They have holes in the ground. They're porcelain. I mean, they're Indian sophisticated, but they're porcelain holes in the floor. And I remember going, I mean, we pulled into a gas station one time, and there was a bathroom. It was a bathroom break, and it was the first time I had, uh, I don't know if the word used is what I did. I mean, it was scary. And, and you go in, and it's there. And, and we were in the car, and they're like, so what did you think, American? And uh, I said, I, th I think it's weird. And they said, well, I don't understand. Why would you want to put your rear end on a dirty piece of porcelain anyway? I hate it when they're right. <laughs> they're like, God made you to stand over it. Why? I mean, I, I don't mean to be gross this morning, but you, you've got a perspective. I've got a perspective. But on the other side, you realize, wow, there's other perspectives, and maybe we should trust the king of kings. Because maybe our perspective isn't always right. Maybe there's peace to be had if we... Well, maybe we should sing it together. Turn your eyes. Look. Here's the part. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. I'm going to close in just a second, and we're going to start something new this morning, and it isn't a big deal. But you know, we don't have really a response time at the end of our services. We go to Bible study. And uh, for a long time, something has concerned me, and that is the Scripture says as often as you gather, you know, take communion in remembrance of me. And we do it once a month, and we're going to continue doing that but uh, Zach shared with me that in a church he was involved in Chicago that they did this, and I think it's a really cool response to the service. If the Lord is speaking to you or has been speaking to you, no fanfare, no music, no altar call, but I want to invite you to come up here, and over in this corner in a dark place in the room is communion elements. It's going to be there every week, and there's a wonderful place to seat right up here. Once, maybe twice a year we have meetings in here, not very often. But I want to encourage you to come up here and just take the communion elements and sit down on the couch and talk, or couch, on the chair, and just talk to Jesus. Remember, the bread is him living out his life for us in faithfulness, and then the cup is forgiveness for sin. And I just think maybe you've got kids and your family hasn't been, you've been, you've been fighting and you, you, the Lord hasn't been Lord of your life. Bring your kids up and just, just sit there. You can sit on the floor. That, those doors are closed for emergency. It's open for emergencies, but people don't use them. You can sit on the side of the stage, but just take time with God. We will be healthier as you are spiritually healthier. We're not trying to turn this into a program. We're turning this into a chance for you to hear from God and go, you know what? I forgot. You did this for me, and now I'm willing to do it for you. There's only one application to today's message. Surrender. Worship Christ as Lord. Wherever you're coming from, whatever you've done, if you don't know him today is the day to be saved, worship Christ as Lord of your life. Tell him you know you're a sinner and he's the only one that can save you. If you're a child of God and you've been just saved and just born again, you haven't grown up, today's the time to start growing up. But you're welcome to make your way up here. Let me close in a word of prayer. Lord, we love you. Help us trust you. We trust you with our souls. Now help us trust you with our lives. And again, we pray for our brothers and sisters in Ukraine and Iran and China and all across the globe that are enduring in Canada. Lord, help them to obsess over you. And now for us in America who thinks we don't have to, help us to obsess over you. 
In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. God bless you guys. Have a wonderful Sunday.